You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to Surf Splendor. I'm your host, David Scales. I'm going to start today's episode with a quote from John F. Kennedy. Quote, I really don't know why it is that all of us are so committed to the sea, except I think it's because in addition to the fact that the sea changes and the light changes and the ships change, it's because we all came from the sea. And it is an interesting biological fact that all of us have in our veins the exact same percentage of salt in our blood that exists in the ocean. And, therefore, we have salt in our blood, in our sweat, in our tears. We are tied to the ocean. And when we go back to the sea, whether it is to sail or to watch it, we are going back from whence we came. JFK. That quote was provided by today's guest, Dr. Chad Nelson, the CEO of the Surfrider Foundation. The Surfrider Foundation's mission is simply, quote, to protect and enjoy the world's ocean, waves, and beaches through a powerful activist network. That network consists of 250,000 activists among 85 chapters focused on five main initiatives, beach access, clean water, coastal preservation, ocean protection, and plastic pollution. Today's guest, Chad Nelson, will enumerate some of the campaigns that Surfrider is actively engaged in to defend those initiatives. Chad received his doctorate in environmental management from UCLA, and he worked as the environmental director for Surfrider for 16 years prior to taking the CEO position in 2014. Surfrider has been a significant force for policy change that has had a really positive impact on the entire planet, far beyond our little surf community. But, amazingly, it was started by a very small group of surfers. So I wanted to chat with Chad as we look forward into this new year, um, and just to bring awareness to his work, to the Surfrider's work, and to help illuminate how integrally our health, your health, my health, how integrally it is tied to the health of the ocean. This is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Chad Nelson. Life is long, so you will be wrong. I mean, before we actually get into kind of the history of Surfrider and your guys, um, you know, initiatives and that sort of stuff, yeah, give me a little info about yourself, um, just as a surfer, and what, how, what brought you to Surfrider Foundation originally, and where'd you grow up, and all that. Yeah, so I grew up in Laguna Beach. Okay, um, and uh, you know, the apple didn't fall too far from the tree. My dad was a, <clears throat> excuse me, my dad was a science educator. Oh, taught a marine science program, so he was doing tide pools and marine biology 
as I, when I was a kid, he ran a summer camp in the summers. Mm. Um, grew up surfing, lifeguarding, you know, kind of the idyllic Laguna Beach beach life. So I was like lucky yeah. <clears throat> to grow up in a place that was beautiful, spend all my time in the ocean. My brother, <clears throat> God, <clears throat> excuse me. No, we've got the magic uh, of editing on yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, my brother was a kind of like a lifestyle pro surfer, a guy named Eric Frog Nelson. People know him. He's been a boatman in Tavi for 20 okay. years. Okay. Um, so I kind of grew up like at the beach around surfing. I was never as good of a surfer as he was, but, um, and, uh, but I was really interested in environmental issues. And when I went to college, uh, I went to college on the East coast and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I got involved in these environmental issues and I got into geology and my whole life actually kind of went in that direction. It wasn't until grad school, I was 24, I was like, I found this coastal environmental management program at Duke University. Wow. And I, like the light bulb went on. I was like, oh, I can combine my interest in environmental protection with like my passion for the coasts. Hmm. And uh, that kind of sent me on my, on my way to working on coastal environmental issues. I worked for the state of Oregon for a couple of years, had a fellowship through NOAA. Wow. And, uh, and then I, I came here in 95, I was an intern, summer intern in grad school for Surfrider, loved it. And then in 98, which I can't believe it's been almost 20 years, I got a job here. It's like a lowly program guy and wow. I've been here ever since. Wow. Um, you know, so I've been here forever. I was, I ran this sort of environmental programs and I ran the environmental science department. That's my background. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, got hired as the CEO about just over two years ago. Right. So fascinating. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to be able to spend my life on the coasts and protecting yeah. these places, you know, I've been one of my goals, uh, one of my sort of personal goals at surf riders, I'm trying to surf in every coastal state. Um, and I've got about five left. What are the five left? So I haven't surfed in Alabama or Mississippi. Okay. There's not that much surf in, in Louisiana. So that little corner. Yeah. There's not a lot of surf down there. Right. There's actually a Grand Isle off of New Orleans. Okay. It's like an out barrier island. Okay. It has surf on it, I guess. It's like if you're in New Orleans, that's where you go surf. Yeah. So I haven't done that. And there's Orange Beach. Like Alabama actually has surf. Yeah. And I haven't gotten, uh, I don't have uh, Maine or New Hampshire. That's pretty okay. much it. Oh, I haven't Those served in Alaska either, but continental. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I remember Sterling Spencer, kind of mm-hmm. quasi pro surfer, uh, yeah. pro- made a video in Alabama like a year or two ago when there was some crazy storm in the Gulf and he got yeah. actually, like, he was getting tubed. I'm sure you know? that has its moments, like yeah. every place. You just have, you'd have to know somebody to cue you in on when to come, you know? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, that, so that's, that's fascinating. That's my story. Yeah. And I feel lucky. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I, um, I'm glad to hear that because sometimes in surfing and in other industries too, you have people, uh, CEO, people who end up in the CEO position who aren't necessarily cut from the same cloth as, I don't know, the brand that they're representing. They're super qualified professionally, sure. yep. Yep. you know, yeah. but it's nice to hear, you know, obviously a surfing background. Um, I was going to say, you've probably seen Laguna Beach change a lot over the course of that time, but also... The Surfrider Foundation has grown a lot and changed a lot in the 20 years that you've been involved. It really has. Um, yeah, I mean, when I, my parents moved to Laguna in 1970. Crazy. And, uh, you know, when I was a little kid, the restaurants closed in the winter. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah. And uh, Irvine didn't exist. Unbelievable and, to think uh, of that. Yeah, it was a different, 
sleepy place full of surfers and hippies at a gay scene and an artist scene. It was kind of it. It was this little enclave and, uh, you know, it really did change. It's funny because I left after college and bounced around for 10 years and I came back in 98 and that was the year of the MTV show, Laguna Beach, the real Laguna oh, Beach. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that had a fundamental, it really fundamentally changed the place, I think. Wow. So Laguna, yeah. It's disturbing up. to think that MTV has that Power. amount of sway. I mean, I, there's a lot of other forces at of play. Of course, but, yeah, yeah. Um, I watched, I watched a documentary. A listener actually recommended it to me just recently, um, Orange Sunshine. Have yes. you seen that? I read the book. Oh, you did? Okay. There's a book about it, yeah. Okay. The whole uh, the underground drug scene. And the that. Brotherhood of Eternal Love, love, I think yeah. was what it was called. And, uh, I mean, that book's fascinating. Some of those early surfers from Laguna yeah. were the guys who started coming back from Thailand and oh, Indo yeah. and all those places with all those crazy drugs. And then Timothy Leary came down. Yeah. And, and he actually uh, hid out there. Yeah. Like, they were hiding him. When yeah. The police were looking for him. So. And the guy who busted them... Purcell, yes, his, his he went on to be the chief of police. Like when I was in high school, he was the chief of police, and I, I hadn't heard, I didn't know that whole story until the guy who wrote the book was a uh, OC Weekly writer. Oh, okay, I don't remember his name. I don't but. either. Well, um, when you when I was looking at that archival footage in the documentary, trying to reconcile that with today's Laguna Beach. It was like it's a very different place. It's so different. Yeah, now it's I'm posh sorry. and you totally. know, you know, I have to say and then I can get onto the history of Surfrider, but I still love the little surf scene in Laguna. Mm. It's really community oriented, you know, that Brook Street is yeah. the, you know, arguably the world's longest running oldest contest, surf contest is uh still brings the community together and you see these surfers. I've got 15 year old twins that are in the sort of coming out of Grom hood and all the way through to some of these guys that have surfed in almost all of them. It's got a great little, it, for a town that it has does. like a bunch of funny finicky surf spots or for a town that is, you know, arguably the name is known everywhere. Yeah. Everybody's heard of Laguna, but it's small and it still certainly has a small town feel. Yep. And I'm up in Huntington and it's like, I don't even bother going to Laguna, even if I know the waves are good or if it's windy no, I, all throughout. I don't even come down because, number one, parking is a hassle. Yeah. Number two, it's like if you don't really know the nooks and crannies, I'm yeah. going to end up in the wrong one anyway. Yeah, it's super so, tide sensitive. Yeah, you guys have done a great job. I mean, you haven't done it, the geography. Or yeah. yeah. Well, and the waves are all weird. I mean, every one yeah. of them has got a... Even Brook Street, I'm sure it gets great, but every time yeah. I've surfed it, it's just kind of like a novelty wave, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then when it is great, all the best guys are probably out, and I'm not going right. to get any waves yep. anyway. So. Exactly. So, so, you know, and in that 20-year period, I mean, when I was when I got hired at Surfrider, you know, we had, we had chapters. We had 24 chapters. We Our budget was about $600,000 a year, and there was about six employees. Hmm. And you fast forward to today... We have over 80 chapters. We have 60 clubs. So we have like 140 entities, high school and college clubs. Wow. Um, we have about 45 staff, people all over the country, and about a $6 million budget. So the wow. place has almost gone like 10 times in that. So let's break it down. You said 80 chapters. Are they all in the U.S.? Or where do the chapters Yeah, we range? have a international affiliates also. So Got I can it. tell you about those. Um, 80 chapters in the U.S., almost every coastline with the exception of that little stretch in the Gulf. Okay. So no Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, but we have coverage in every other 
coastal state, including the Great Lakes. Okay. So we have a bunch of chapters around the Great Lakes and Hawaii. Okay. So. And actually, let's back up. Can you give me the history of Surfrider? What was yep. it, how was it founded? Who by? And like, what were the objectives? Yeah. So Surfrider was founded in 1984, and uh, three guys. There's a lot of people who um, claim some involvement, and I think sure. they did because it was kind of a collective thing. But there's three standouts: a guy named Glenn Henning, who's still around and up in Ventura, and um, he was one of the really the key drivers. Um, Lance Carson. Yeah, Malibu surfer and a guy named Tom Pratt, who's kind of like the first environmental, real strong environmental voice. And uh, Glenn Henning will tell you that, um, you know, the 84 Olympics had just kind of come through L.A. And he was kind of looking at the surfing community and sort of how they were perceived. It's kind of relevant now that surfing's come full circle to the Olympics, but True. how surfer, <clears throat> surfing was perceived and how all these other athletes were being perceived as being these ambassadors for their country and sports kind of brings us together and, you know, what the Olympics are all about. And yeah. so, I, you know, part of it for him, it was just changing the image of who a surfer is. You know, are we really these kind of dropouts who aren't really good for anything? We just kind of take what we want and don't contribute to the world and hmm. we do our thing. You know, we can be more than that. Yeah. So I think it was that. And then, you know, we saw surf spots being destroyed. Killer Dana right here in our backyard. And in Malibu, you know, there was a water treatment plant, Tapia, upstream. That thing was dumping untreated wastewater down into the lagoon. You know, they were telling stories of the, it'd be the middle of summer and the lagoon closes in the summer. And that thing would start to fill up. And they just go out there and bulldoze it open, you know, in the middle of July on a summer day. And the disgusting water would just go pouring out into the into the lineup. And I, so that Malibu was like the first. They, they schemed this. Uh, you know, it's funny. Surfrider is actually named after the Surfrider Motel. Oh, okay. Not the surf spot. Okay. And, uh, and so they were like, hey, enough's enough. Let's get together and take some action and kind of try to solve some of these issues at Malibu. Yeah, Lance so Carson's home break. Yeah, yeah, and that was kind of that. That's where it began, and I think the idea caught fire. People were like, oh, we can actually like have some power and get involved in some of these decisions that are affecting the ocean and our surf spots. You know, and it kind of blew up from there. Fascinating. So, what so. what was the business model for Surfrider at that time? Was it um, chaos? Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, donation based it, and like, yeah. where does that go? And you know, it's funny. You can. I'm, I'm turning around to look at this wall in our office, and we have these making waves, which is our newsletter, and you, we have like the first newsletter up there. And if you open that thing up and take a look at it, you know, it was the magazines. Mm-hmm. Surfer actually played a. Played a role in helping support the first, the beginnings of Surfrider and some of the early surf um, businesses and companies. So it was really kind of a donation. I don't, you know, we're a membership-based organization now. We have about yeah. fifty thousand members, but um, I don't know to be honest with you when that kicked in. Yeah, but it was individuals writing checks. We were yeah. getting ads. The first ad that we ever produced was a Sean Thompson, who's been a supporter since the day day one. Um, that the magazines ran, hmm. encouraging donations. Right. Um, the office was based in Huntington back then. Yeah. Tom Pratt, that's where he lived. Okay. And, uh, you know, and so that was kind of the model. But, I mean, to be honest with you, it was 
a bunch of well-meaning people mm-hmm. doing it on the side. There was no staff, right? You know, and um, it, it actually really kind of one of the big pivotal moments was in '93. Surfrider Mark Massara was the attorney at the time. He's a kind of legendary surfing environmentalist in California. Won a big Clean Water Act case against the Humboldt pulp mill. Oh, okay. I was pumping effluent into the surf and Humboldt. It was the second largest Clean Water Act case in U.S. history. Okay. And that was like what blew the the top off. And all of a sudden we were like, you know, on the front page of the New York Times, surfers, you know, stopped this pulp mill. And that's really when when things really grew. Fascinating. Yeah. So um, do you want, I mean, maybe there's, we're probably uh, skipping over a lot of origin story and yeah. on the timeline, but do you want to talk about kind of what your current initiatives are? I know part of the reason we wanted to get together was looking at 2017. Yeah. And obviously with the pre- the election, things are going to change. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what are we looking at? For- you know, it's interesting. We one of our sort of measures of success is we have so we set up these campaigns. Mm-hmm. When we have a campaign, the goal is to get some decision maker to make a decision that we think is going to better the coast and the ocean. So, if we want to get plastic out of the oceans. We try to ban a you know single use plastic bags. We get a city council to ban them in their town campaign. Yeah. And if we get one of those, we check a box and say we got one. We won. Mm-hmm. It's one of the ways we keep tabs of our impact. So on a good year, we get 36 to 40 of those, which we think is pretty good. Sure. It's like two or three a month. Yeah. Some are small. Some are big and scale and impact. You know, stopping offshore drilling from the entire Atlantic coast, big deal. It'd be a big one. You know, stopping cigarette smoking on a beach in a small town. Eh. You know, <laughs> but it's still relevant. But yeah. um, so last year we had 60 victories. So it was like a huge, it was by far our biggest, best year in our history. And not only that, we had some of our most significant victories. So oh, we had wow. quantity and quality. So um, we kind of put the nail in the coffin at the Trestles campaign, Save yep. Trestles, which has been one of our biggest, longest running campaigns. Yeah. It um, seemed to so be never ending. Yeah. And that there was, was no exit strategy for that thing until we came up with this way to solve it, which we can talk about if you're interested. Yeah. But, well, um, actually, definitely. And then we got offshore drilling, which was a threat in the Atlantic. Which huge priority for our East Coast mm-hmm. chapter folks. So that plan got scuttled, which was a huge win. And we banned single-use plastic bags statewide in California, which is a big step towards taking a, you know some of that plastic out of the ocean. I'm aware, obviously, that that uh, change happened. What was your guys' involvement in that? Or was were you guys the ones spearheading it? Or? We were part of a coalition. Okay. So it was, we, it was, we were one of the leaders. We had spent, with a, with a group of others... Six years trying to get the legislature in California to pass a single-use bag ban. Right. And we got we, we lost, we lost, we lost. The bag industry would come in at the last minute, descend on Sacramento, start writing checks, yeah. and we'd lose the votes. So we finally got it passed in 2014. Governor Brown signed it. Hurrah, first state in the nation to get rid of these things, um, which are such a scourge. Yeah. The bag industry came in. You know, they make millions and millions of dollars off those things and started a petition, got a referendum and delayed the legislation, which is, you know, their right to do. Yeah. And uh, that's why it was on the ballot. Okay. At the election this year. Got it. And this and the, you know, I think it passed 65, 35. So Californians overwhelmingly supported it. Sure. And, uh, you know, so they're gone. So we were 
working with our chapter network up and down the state to get the word out. We were educating, you know, in the past, we were focusing on getting our elected officials to vote for it. Yeah. It's kind of campaign 101. Yeah. And then this was like getting the word out to try to educate the public so that they knew to, you know. Yeah. So what does that look like uh, from a practical level? I mean, is it standing in front of a grocery store passing out? Um, leaflets or like I mean yeah I mean we were holding meetings we were putting out communications we were doing PSAs okay you know it was um, it it was different because normally you're trying to convince the decision maker they shouldn't make the right call Mm -hmm. in this case we were trying to convince you when you went in there and did your votes you know it was like yes on 67 yeah the proposition so we wanted to get that message out there yeah I mean it seems in a sense, it seems a little more winnable than um, getting legislators to actually change when you're competing with that bag manufacturer who is making millions of dollars and writing the checks yes. to those guys. That seems hard to contend to. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's kind of a different beast. On one hand, if it's the legislature, you know. Yeah. There'll be a bunch of them that like are kind of known pro-environment folks who are going to be like, yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to vote. So you kind of say, okay, we got those votes in the bag, no mm-hmm. pun intended. And then... Uh, these guys were never going to vote for it. And so usually there's this little middle gap and you're like, all right, we got to get like 15 of these people mm-hmm. to vote one way or the other. So it's pretty targeted. Yeah. And you're working okay. with their constituency to get them to, okay. you know, convince them, Hey, this is the right thing to do. These things suck. They cost money. They're polluting. There's alternatives. Um, when it's the public, you know, you're looking at like 30 million Californians. <laughs> you're like, all right, how are we going to influence them? So it's a, in some ways it's, it's more difficult. Totally. It's just, you know, it's really hard to be targeted. You're just trying to get them word out. Right. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious. And there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references. And now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. What I like about that example, though, is um, it's not directly ocean-related, and I think it's good representation Mm -hmm. of you guys. You know, it is 
indirectly related for sure and it's environmentally yeah. related but um you know growing up being aware of Surfrider Foundation I just thought it was all to do with keeping reefs alive or something yeah like keeping Protecting oil surf spots yeah exactly exactly the trestles yeah. thing yeah but it's a lot more expansive program it is i mean and, you know i i pull plastic out of the ocean every day i surf mm-hmm. I mean, it's there every you know, it's rare you surf where you don't see it floating around definitely so, especially in california you know there's a zach noyle the north shore photographer has a famous photo at least in our environmental world of that guy getting barreled at indo with mikala jones yeah, yep with the trash you know, so it's like at some point the plastic could, you know, get to the point where it actually not only has all of the oceanographic impacts, which we think are important because we want to surf in a healthy ocean, and yeah, um, but it can actually impact surfing itself. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, and it's just, I mean, the the science that's been coming out about the impacts of the plastic pollution in the ocean are just staggering. You know, really? It really is having Give me- global 5.25 trillion pieces of plastic in the ocean, you know, I, 8 I to 20 even- metric tons, which is, you know, 2,000 kilograms going into the 20 million metric tons going into the ocean every year. I mean, we are, you know, they're finding it. They cannot sample a fish without finding plastic in it. You know, there was really? like a stat that came out in a paper, more plastic than fish in the ocean by 2050. Really? People kind of debate that. But, I mean, just the fact that it's even close. Yeah. The fact that it's debatable. Yeah. We're like, we're just filling the ocean with this stuff. Yeah. The sea life's eating it. You know, I'm pretty sure we're eating it when you have sushi. So it's like, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. So. Yeah, you have no idea what the long-term effects are going to yeah. be. But it is. you make a good point, which is, you know, Surfrider cares about surfing and protecting surf spots, of course. But our mission's even bigger than that. Mm-hmm. We want to protect the health of our ocean waves and beaches, which is our mission statement sort of worldwide. Mm-hmm. So we want healthy coasts, healthy beaches, healthy nearshore ocean. If we do that right... Our surf spots will be also protected. Totally, yeah. So some campaigns specific to saving a surf spot, Ma'alaya in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. They're going to put in. You know, they want to expand the harbor. It was going to hit the surf, the surf spot. So that was like a very surf specific campaign. The trestles. So let's break that down a little bit. What what everybody's seen the Save Trestles campaign. Yeah. Can you break the campaign down? Or yeah, the, I mean uh, it was pretty. The it's a good. I mean, it's a, also a good illustration of kind of like what. You know, one of the questions we talk about all the time is like, what does impact a surf spot? Yeah. You know, and if the water's too polluted, can't go surfing. That's bad. Mm-hmm. If you can't get there, it's bad access. You know, if people build on the shore or put sand on the beach in such a way that it screws up the surf, that's bad. Mm-hmm. And in the case of trestles, they were actually going to alter the watershed, which is where all the sand cobbled and water that forms trestles comes from. I guess uh, this last storm, the you know, the inlet at uppers broke, broke through, through for the first time since 2010, I think. So that pumps this whole, I was out, I remember out surfing out there last time it broke out and Chris Ward was out there and there's this sandbar that had formed and it was like turned trestle uppers into like a barreling wave. And he I was had there. A, it was like the mid nineties. Yeah. No, this was 2010. Oh, that was 2010. I okay. mean, it was probably back then it did the same and it was amazing. He had it wired. I just watched him like doing laps, getting shacked. Well, it it's cool funny that see. you used him as the example. Cause that's exactly what my memory was of it. Maybe it was the late nineties, but yeah, it was like Kira out there. Yeah. It was like the hollow sand point break. Yeah. And he was out there just 
shredding. And there was I trees. If he was out there this week. <laughs> I'm sure he's. I mean, he's always out there. It's trestles. Yeah, yeah. But it's like it was. Um, there were trees floating in the lineup, mm-hmm. you know. And I remember somebody saying they saw snakes in the lineup, yep. like rattlesnakes yeah. that got blown. Yeah, I know there was one of those El Ninos. They talked about rattlesnakes. Yeah. So that watershed is responsible for the cobble. I mean, that's why Lowers is there and Uppers is there. Like Lowers is the old river mouth. That yeah. triangle of cobble that makes Lowers is, you know, an old river mouth. That thing swung down south and spit out there, God knows when, and sure. formed that. Now it's up at Uppers. And um, so the toll road that was planned um, was going to, you know, patch into the five, right? You know, right essentially at the parking lot at Christianitos. Okay. And go up the watershed and kind of curve around to the left out towards Ortega Highway to okay. connect to the rest of the toll road network in Orange County. Got it. And uh, that road was going to bisect the last sort of unaltered natural watershed in this part of the world and impact the surf at Trestle. It was going to have a lot of impacts, but that was one of the big ones. So it was going to wipe out the campground at San Mateo campground. It was going to eat up part of the state park. You know, it was going to definitely impact the surf spot. Yeah. There was, you know, there's a lot of ecological reasons why it was bad. There's some endangered species in there. There was like tribal. I mean, it was kind of, um, it it had something for everyone in the worst way. It was going to just nail all of these different sort of resources that make that whole place special and for the surfers why mess with perfection so totally you know there's never been a road built that didn't pollute so it's definitely going to pollute the water it was going to cut off a bunch of the sand and cobble that make the surf spot so you know it was great i mean it's one of my favorite campaigns because the surfing community rallied and the public in california rallied like never before yeah you know Biggest coastal attendance um, attendance at a coastal commission meeting ever. Wow, you know, a couple thousand people showed up. I called like the Woodstock of surfing activism. Yeah. there were people in costumes. There were bands playing. The surf industry came in with their like buses and their staff. It yeah. was almost celebratory. Sure. Other than the fact that you know we were there to defend and we won. So what I like though, or what I kind of want to reiterate to listeners is. Um, in that example, I guess you're right. There are a lot of different groups that it affected, but there's other situations where it has negative ecological or environmental impact, um, and maybe it ruins a surf spot too. Mm-hmm. But there aren't uh, focused, localized groups of people. There's environmentalists, environmental yeah. acti- activists in general that'll band together, yeah. but there aren't real focused groups of people who can band together to support like there are in the surf community. Yeah. You know? Yep. And so that's what I like about the surf community mm-hmm. is, to be honest, I don't care if the surf spot goes away. Like, let's say it had no other environmental impact. Yeah. It'd be pretty selfish for me to be concerned about waves when other people are, when there might be good that can come of whatever the project is. Sure. You know? Sure. So I hate to use that. The excuse of, oh, it's going to ruin a wave that I like surfing as a reason to yeah. do something. But if it's going to have all this other environmental impact, we are the people who need to stand up and do it. Like we are the focused, mm-hmm. tightly knit community that has something to protect that can band together and yeah. activate. Well, and you know, and I think actually, I think these waves are kind of these resources. You know, you think about the, the number of good surf spots in the state of California you know, and 
there's not that many. No. And compared to how much coastline there is. And then you think about kind of like those A-level waves, those like iconic waves, the Rincons, the Malibus, the Trestles, the Swamis. There's even fewer of those. Yeah. And uh, I, th- I think they are like kind of these iconic resources in the state that should be protected. Like a nat- national park or something. They are. There are yeah. national parks, you know. Yeah. I, I went back. To, when I, one of the things that part of my story is I went back to school to UCLA and got a degree in economics. And I studied the surfonomics, the oh, economics okay. of surfing. Sure. And I did my research on trestles. Um, a, because it's in my backyard. And B, because it was part of that campaign, you know, and... It was. I interviewed about thirteen hundred surfers that go down to Trestles. It was really amazing. I mapped them. They came from Santa Barbara, okay, Riverside, San Diego. I mean, so there are people driving a hundred miles to go surf that place. Crazy. Eighty-four percent of the people who surf that locals would love this came from outside of City of San Clemente. Sure, that's not that surprising, you know. Yeah. But um, and uh, they spend about eight to thirteen million dollars a year. In San Clemente, because they're coming. I believe it. So, surf shops, breakfast joints, gas stations. Hotels. Hotels, yeah. all that stuff. And so, Trestles is actually this, like, economic engine for the city of San Clemente. Amazing. Drawing, you know, and also, it was amazing because I, when I, like, looked at the map, cluster of surfers from Oceanside, cluster from Encinitas, Cluster from Huntington, Newport, you could almost see, even like Hermosa, you could see the towns on the map that were like surf towns. Yeah. Because there was the highest concentration of surfers in those places going to trestles. But I was like, they're leaving (laughs) their waves in their backyard to go surf that place. It's pretty remarkable. That is. That's really interesting data. I never really thought about it. So I think these surf spots are actually... You know, there. I mean, there was that classic battle between Santa Cruz and Huntington about who's surf city. Yeah. I mean, part of the reason I think they cared is because it has this economic tourism value. Huge reason why they care. Yeah, it goes into all the marketing moving you forward. Know, so, um, so let's talk about those are some big wins. Um, oh, 2017. What's on the docket? So, yeah, I mean, so, you know, I think regardless of your political persuasion, you know, there's no arguing that these guys are going to be bad for the environment. Trump and his appointees, um, you know, most of them that are focusing on environmental decision making, you know, don't believe in climate change. And so, you know, 98, 97% of all the science shows it's human induced, you know, and Schwarzenegger was out just recently talking about it and he was like, say it's not why wouldn't we be addressing these issues anyway Hmm. you know like it's producing smog and asthma and killing people all this crap we're pumping into the air sure anyway um you know and so um you know we had our best year ever in 2016 got a lot of great conservation wins um and now we're moving sort of from offense to defense because we're expecting you know offshore drilling and again we you know we're kind of basing this on like Platform and positions during the campaign and appointments that are being made. No decisions have been made yet. You know, he, he takes office in a few days and then they'll kind of get to work on their stuff. But, you know, the things that he's talked, Trump's talked about and his cabinet appointees have talked about is more oil drilling offshore. Yep. So we don't like that. Um, it was interesting in South Carolina when we were fighting the Atlantic drilling. Yeah. Every single coastal community in the coast of South Carolina 
pass a resolution in opposition to offshore drilling. So here you have a pretty conservative state, but <clears throat> those coastal communities, you're a restaurant owner in Charleston, Folly Beach, you're like, what's in it for me for that rig offshore compared to my hotel or my restaurant and the threat. So right. when you get down to those local economics and politics, the folks in those towns were like, I don't see any benefit to having rigs off my shore and the threat of a spill. Yeah. I kind of like it the way it is. It's working pretty good. Let's Absolutely. keep it this way. Yeah. Um, so oil drilling is a threat that we're worried about coming back onto the sort of horizon. Um, and uh, there's some Reg the EPA regulations that regulate clean water. Yeah. So when we're trying to advocate, you know, one of the one of the permits that the trestle toll road needed was a water quality permit. Okay. And that's those rules are part of the Clean Water Act, managed by the EPA. So you know those regulations have direct impact on our ability to keep our ocean clean. Yeah. So we're worried about weakening of environmental regulations for the ocean. All the water quality monitoring that's done. Up and down the coast is part of the EPA, the Beach okay. Act, something we support. We want sure. to see those tests being done. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, and then the, the climate stuff that, you know, the U.S. has been part of this, you know, COP21, which was the um, big climate agreement that was passed last year to try to address emissions and climate change. Okay. Which is going to have huge impacts on our coast. You know, something we're worried that will get rolled back. So okay. those are some of the things that we're keeping an eye on and want to make sure we can do our part to what is your part i mean keeping your eye on them and worrying about them what what is the action step um, sure. moving forward so we want to keep an eye on what's happening um you know and all of these things require public process to change so the bureau of ocean and energy management are the folks who permit offshore drilling so they went through like a two-year process with public hearings and public comment and all that too before they come up with the plan. In this case, they said no drilling off the Atlantic. Okay. Um, so there'll be public hearings. There'll be opportunities to write comment letters. And so we're reading the information, making a science-based argument as to why we think that's a bad idea, mm -hmm. what, what its impacts to the coast are going to be. And then we submit letters. We get our chapters around the country to you know, organize their communities. We pass these local resolutions and oppositions. We're trying to get local government to weigh in. Um, you know, we write letters to our congressmen and then ultimately we get out and start doing lobbying individually to our local representatives. Got so it. It's, you know, and so that's kind of the process. And we help coordinate that from here in the headquarters where we're sitting yeah. out to our chapter network around the country so they can be local advocates. So the guys in Cape Fear... And out in, um, oh, it's not Kitty Hawk. Where are those guys? Matt Walker's going to kill me. Uh, on the, somewhere on the Outer, the outer Banks. banks yeah. yeah. They, you know, they're going to be working on convincing, working with their local businesses, local mm -hmm. representatives to say, hey, we think this is a bad idea. Let's be vocal about that and see sure. if we can convince our local representatives that this is a bad idea. Yeah. That's kind of how it works. Okay. Yeah, so. I understand. Understand the structure of it. Yeah. Um, you know, and if we can get critical mass around our issues, which in this case, last time, last run at it, we did, mm -hmm. we can convince the decision makers to, you know, both in the trestles case and in the offshore drilling case, you know, different decision makers, we convince them to make a decision we thought was best for the coast. Absolutely. In the ocean. So, um, it, 
it sounds like doom and gloom, obviously, like not only 2017, but just the ocean health in general and the climate change. How do you feel about it as CEO of the Surfrider Foundation? Do you feel optimistic about, because I know um, you were saying like climate change is largely human induced. Well, then we can stop the progression of it by reducing these things. Is there any prospect of um, reversing the process? I yeah, mean- yeah. So you know, it's funny. Um, I, 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 I see the problems, and I understand these like big threats out there. But I also see that like so people at Surfrider and in other groups are making a difference every day. Right. So if you talk to people in the seventies. A lot of the, you know, ocean in off Southern California was actually more polluted than it is today. Was it? You know, and wastewater treatment and other things have really improved that. So I think there's success stories. Um, there's more awareness about the perils of our ocean than ever before. You know, there's more protected areas being established. Um, the the you know there's steps like these bag bands that are t- starting to take that plastic out of the ocean and people recognize that uh, so I'm actually I am optimistic because I see people making a difference every day so I really try to focus on I mean you can just be like oh god it's too big you know there'd be paralyzed or you can say hey you know the longest journey takes one step let's take that step and focus on the forward momentum mm-hmm. and i you know at surfrider i feel like we're, we are making those differences every day and our volunteers and our activists out there who are incredible they're just volunteering their time to do this stuff yeah are making a difference so you know i do feel like it's i am optimistic about the future and i think i mean it's i always say it's like a numbers game like the reason we won trestles is because thousands of people turned out and said, not on my watch, and it worked. And every time at Surfrider we see that reaction, it works. Yeah. So if we can get a critical mass of people that say, hey, healthy oceans are a priority, we'll get what we want. I mean, it's kind of the beauty of democracy, right? It and is. So I'm convinced if we do that and rally enough people behind the different causes, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, and not to overstate the obvious, but the earth is majorly ocean. So healthy ocean means healthy earth. Yeah. Means like I mean, healthy. Yeah. Arthur C. Clarke, the science fiction writer was, you know, he said how foolish is it we, that we call this planet earth when it's so clearly ocean, you know, it's 70% yeah. ocean. It should be called ocean. Yeah. Not yeah, earth. Totally. You know? Um, and then the climate change thing, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk and there was around that, you know, that cop 21, that global, yeah. that national, that global hearing about keeping the temperature of the planet within two degree increase in temperature. Um, they talk about the parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere, and they want to keep that below. You know, there's a group called 350.org that wants to keep it at 350 parts per million. That's kind of, Those are kind of the, some of the, like, big global measurements. Okay. And if we can keep the temperature within a couple degrees, that won't have massive, you know, presumably massive impacts if we can keep that carbon number, you know, and there are people out there smarter than me calculating how much carbon we're pumping into the ocean or into the atmosphere, which gets absorbed by the ocean. And, um, and so, you know, those goals are set, those international goals are set on these, you know, trying to keep these emission levels and kind of trying to create a trajectory to get there. Yeah. You know, and the, there was a lot of optimism around that cop 21 meeting because U S you know, in India and China and the big emitters were like, Hey, we got to do this. Let's find a way to do it. So 
the fact that that was a huge step forward you know and it'd be it'd be unfortunate if the u.s backed out of that i think there's going to be a lot of pressure not to sure you know and at the end of the day you know i it's doable you know california recently it's and over the last five years california's solar you know production and electronic um solar production went through the roof and our economy grew so we're transitioning from a sort of carbon based power to renewable power in California. Okay. And our economy is growing at the same time. So it kind of shows that it's not like we have to go back to being cavemen yeah. to, to get off burning fossil fuels, which is, I think, a common perception. Well, um, incidentally, I don't, I don't know if you saw, but U.S. blanks actually just transitioned into 100% solar powered at the yeah. factory in L.A. Yeah. Um, 680 panels on the roof and running entirely on solar yeah. now. So every surfboard And they're made, probably saving a bunch of money. Yeah. They're paying it back to the grid. They're generating yeah. enough, yeah. you know. So, um, yeah, there you go. I mean, I, I, it's funny. I fly into Orange County or into Los Angeles and you look at all those rooftops. Yeah. You're like, God, we could be generating power yep. everywhere. Yeah. You know, it's happening. It's coming. It is. <clears throat> well, I know, I don't, Elon Musk's company now does yeah. solar tiles on the roof where I they're not that. actually panels. It's yeah. just shingles. Solar yeah. shingles is what it is. Yeah, I know. I have a, a friend in Laguna who bought a Tesla, and he's like, I've never, I haven't been to a gas station in a year. And I thought, what a trip. I know. Isn't that a funny thought? It is. Um, you said the longest journey you know, starts with one step. What is that one step that the listener, your average surfer, can take no matter where they are in the world listening to this? Yeah, I mean, you know, you can join Surfrider, $25 annual membership fee. That kind of plugs you in. A, that 25 bucks supports all the people out there that are doing the volunteers that are doing the hard work every day. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, if you don't have time to get off out of your busy life to go sit at a city council meeting, you can you can support the people who are. Yeah. And it's a numbers game for us. So like the more people members we have, the more political influence we have. So yep. Easy. I mean, you know, a lot of people spend twenty five bucks a week at Starbucks. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, we encourage people to join. Then you get plugged into all of our information, and you can learn about what's happening in your local community. So we have these eighty chapters. So San Diego has a chapter. You know, South Orange County, all over the U.S. Um, so you can get you can plug into what's happening in your neck of the woods. Learn about the issues meet people who are doing you know interested in making positive change and roll up your sleeves and actually start doing you know doing work um to help solve some of these problems and so those are that's those are the things that i really encourage you know give me an action step aside from um assuming they're going to become members what's something they could do as a surfer at the beach every day oh yeah i mean there's a so you know I was, I was, my kids were at a surf contest in Huntington on Saturday morning. Um, it was like, shoe city pro. No, the it was WSA one the WSA on ninth. And, uh, you know, so we were, I spent the day down there and the amount of plastic and trash on the beach because of the rain we had was just staggering, just amazing. And, um, so, you know, st- no littering, pick up some of that trash on the beach you know, and then you can change your lifestyle and, you know, you use a reusable bag. You kind of have to now or you yeah. buy the paper one. Um, you know, you can get a reusable water, you know, 
single-use water bottles. I heard you actually giving Scott some grief for having one on your <laughs> podcast before. But, you know, get rid of those things. Yeah. Start using a reusable bottle. You yeah. know, reusable coffee mugs. Or just getting yeah. those disposable plastics. I mean, the amount of bottle caps that I picked up on Saturday, 100 of them within, like, you know, 50 feet. So it's insane. <clears throat> the other thing about those is, like, if you do the math, buck twenty nine for a bottle of water for a liter, it's like six bucks a gallon you're paying for something that's free. If gas more, was six more bu- than gas. If, if gas was six dollars a gallon, people would be like, What? This is insane. But they'll pay it pay for it for water that comes out of their tap for essentially for free. Insane. So plastic free lifestyle, no littering. Yeah. I mean, those are some pretty and then get engaged with your local community issues. Yeah. It doesn't have to be through Surfrider, you yeah. know. But you can so those are some simple Yeah, I like simple it. Picking things. up trash on your way up the beach when you're leaving the water is such a simple, effective thing to do if everybody did it, you know? Yeah. Um I mean every single piece of trash on the beach was littered. Yes. Right? Yes. So either intentionally or unintentionally. Yeah. I mean, we've all seen seagulls empty the trash can. Sure. But you know. Um I want to keep you on track with your yep. day. It's almost three o'clock. Awesome. Um final question I always ask everybody on the podcast is just what was the last surfboard that you rode? This is about surfing. Yeah, like, that's what? awesome. I have a great story for you. Let's hear so it. So I got up this morning at 6 a.m. And I was in Ventura at a beach sustainability index workshop. <laughs> and I paddled out of Sea Street. And it was howling offshore. And I surfed on a Brink asymmetrical that I've got. Sweet. And, I've had uh, him on the podcast. And it was Epic. Was it? Surf was amazing. I got about three, four hundred yard rights off the point at Surfer's Point, head high. I had one of the best surf sessions I've had in months. So, yeah, it's a good day to ask. Dude, it wasn't head high down here. And I was surfing this beautiful brink asymmetrical that I got at a Surfrider auction that he donated to Surfrider. What's the length on it? And tell me about the board itself. It's it's like a kind of like a fishy swallowtail shape. It's about 5'8", maybe 5'9". And it's got like a, it's interesting, you know, it's got like a, almost like a, um, it's got a single fin on the longer back side i'm trying to figure out remember which side's which on the longer side probably yeah on the longer side and then like uh almost like um gosh like there's two almost like a quad setup on the on the other side you know and i'm still getting the hang of the thing but it's amazing how it doesn't i expect it to feel weird you're right when you transition and it doesn't good and it makes so much sense because everybody knows their front side and their back side are so different. Yeah. It's a little bit of a miracle to me that he can figure that out. It is. He's it works. accounting for a lot of variables. I've got two Brink asymmetricals. Yeah. So, and I've had him on the show, and he's um, well-spoken, so he's a good guy to try to communicate the nuance of the design. Yeah, and he obviously spends a lot of time thinking about it and yeah. figuring it out. Yeah. yeah, he does. Do you have so. a photo of the board somewhere? Yeah. Send, maybe email it to me and yeah. I'll post it with the episode Absolutely. for people to yeah. check it out. Cool. Well, um, thanks for taking the time hey, and making this you. happen, man. This was fun.
I'd like to close out today's episode with a quote from Margaret Mead, which Chad also provided. Quote, Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. End quote. Today's episode was brought to you by your fellow listeners. They donated to this show, which sent me to San Clemente to spend an hour with Chad, and it paid for the server that you downloaded this podcast from. You, too, can support the show at surfsplendorpodcast.com. In addition to the donation button there, um, I have links to everything that Chad and I discussed in this episode. Surfrider's website is surfrider.org. If you enjoyed today's show, I encourage you to rate and review Surf Splendor in iTunes. It helps with our exposure. It helps other people to find the show. The more listeners that we have, the more content we will be able to produce and the greater guests we'll be able to attract. I'm coming for you, Kelly Slater. All 149 past episodes of Surf Splendor are available for free on surfsplendorpodcast.com. You can leave a comment about today's show in the comment section. If you leave feedback for Chad, I will ensure that he gets it. Also, follow Surf Splendor on the socials at Surf Splendor. See what I'm up to midweek in between these shows? It's also a great way to share the show with friends. Simply tag them in a post that you like. And I believe that completes today's episode. I hope you get involved with Surfrider. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Chad for taking an hour out of your busy schedule to chat. This is David Scales for Surf Splendor with your friendly reminder to spend increasing amounts of time in the ocean this year. Catch a couple waves and shred on.